Uh, we're in week two of uh, these uh, tough questions that we have, and this week we're going to be looking at um, how do we deal with suffering, and this is a tough one, no doubt. This is one of the hardest ones that I think anyone who ever um, looks at their life, looks at the world, begins to ponder God, uh, has to deal with, uh, you know, from the smallest little sufferings that we have, like when I'm watching Jeopardy and this great champion that's on there now, and I realize I'm nowhere near him, but I did get Final Jeopardy the past two, two Thursday and Friday nights, which I felt very good about, so you know that. <laughs> This guy's won over $1.2 million. This guy's awesome. <laughs> um, and I think I'm not like him. God help me. Um, that's dumb. Very dumb to say that, but I say that. Um, to kind of what I didn't even realize, but Morgan prayed for uh, on Easter morning about these, um, <clears throat> these Christians who were killed in Sri Lanka. I mean, how do you deal with that? And to everything in between which probably you and I deal with. Um, how do you deal with suffering? And so I think we need to move to a passage, the most famous passage, the most famous man that has dealt with suffering, and that is the book of Job. And, and how does God deal with suffering um, when he's talking with Satan? And so those of you that haven't read Job know that Job is talking, uh, God is talking with Satan, and Satan says to Job, or excuse me, to God, hey, look, I'm going to mess with your man, Job, and I guarantee you this, if I uh, allow, if you, God, if you allow me to, to bring suffering into Job's life, he will recant his faith. He will pull it back. He will not say that Jesus is Lord. And so here's the actual scripture reading from that. Some of you have heard this and read this many times. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and, and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hand, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Take everything that anybody has here at Westtown, their house, their job, right? Take it from them. They will not come to Westtown on Sunday mornings and praise you. Are you kidding me? They're just here because they have a blessed life. That's what Satan is saying to God. If you pull that from Frank Taylor's life or from Job's life or from your life, I guarantee you Job will recant his faith. It's purely predicated on his stuff. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power. But now, but, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. 
While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised in all this. Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I want to ask you, and I want us to ask the question this morning, why? Why would God allow suffering to take to happen to Job? Maybe you're going through it, or you have some people close to you going through suffering. And when we, when we look at this question, and when we ask why, it's a major question, and it can be a major stumbling block. Maybe it's one for you right now this morning. You won't move closer to God because you want this question answered. God, please tell me, why in the world? And I want to say, first and foremost, I want us to, point number one being this, I want us to avoid avoid cliche answers. And, And by this, I mean this. Many times in church, a religious person will say to this question, when something bad happens to you or happens to somebody you know, here's what many of us say. Why is God punishing me? What am I doing wrong? Right? Maybe I need to go to church more. Maybe I need to pray more. That's the answer, right? Yeah, uh, I'm afraid that there are a lot of folks, right? Not just in religions in general, but the church itself who say, well, you know what? If you're sick, you don't have enough faith or you wouldn't be sick. Right? If you're having financial problems, you know what? You don't have enough faith or you wouldn't have financial problems. Are your kids misbehaving? It's all about what you don't have in terms of faith. And it's this moralistic, gross, um, you know, if-then contingency that many of us believe. And we think, if I pray more, if I am more diligent, you know what? I will have a better life. But that's wrong. It's not what the Scriptures say at all. The other response, I think... And it's not from the church many times. It's from secular, the secular world. When they have hard things happen to their loved ones or to themselves, they say, you know what? Life is like a roulette table. Life is like going to Vegas, right? I mean, it, you cannot, you have no idea, right? Uh, there is no, uh, there's no rhyme or reason to my world. Many of you, maybe you, you think that. You think life is a crapshoot. That's all it is. So some of us think, you know what, if I do and I act right, then good things will happen. And other of us think, you know what, if bad things happen, it's just random, right? It's just random, right? There is no possible explanation. I mean, why are the rays 17 and 9? It doesn't make any sense. That makes no sense. They're supposed to be the worst team in baseball. They have the, worst, they have the lowest pay, you know, pay, payroll on, on the face of the planet and they're number one in the Major League Baseball. This makes no sense. Whatever. Some of us live there. We do that. Why would the Bucks draft another kicker? They're all terrible. <laughs> These are terrible things. They're random things. Right? That's it. No. God says, well, you know, I know I have explanations. 
I do. I have explanations for these things. And, and I hope you would be willing to, to, to listen to them. Because it tells us in this amazing dialogue between God and Satan. You know, verse 8. Have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. And Satan says, oh, oh, you think he's so great? Well, hurt him. Let bad things happen. You think someone at Westtown is so good? You think Frank is so good? Kill his kid. Take his four kids from him. Take his church from him. Take his family, whatever. Then you'll see how good he is. And that may horrify us. But when we look at this and you really look at God, it, it asks you to grow your theology. Because on the one hand, notice Satan's idea is that all bad things should happen to Job. Notice that jo God doesn't come up with these bad ideas. It's Job who comes up with these bad ideas. Some of you think God is the author of evil. He's not. Satan is the author of evil. God is not. And when we understand that, that God does not actually, actively, directly generate the suffering, and we understand this as a microcosm, and we understand that Satan is the one that generates it, that goes and does it. Remember, and this is so important, that God who made the world did not make disease in the world. God, when he made the world, did not make it with suffering or, or sin in any way. And so our theology says when we read, particularly Genesis 1 and 2, God um, didn't make these things. It wasn't a place of death. It was not a place of disease or disaster. But rather, that the forces of darkness were unleashed when? When Adam and Eve turned away from God. Like, darkness happened when Adam and Eve said, you know what? I'm going to believe the snake. I'm going to believe what the snake says. God never planned for this. God never actively said, okay, I'm going to bring sin into the world. And some of you think that. You think God is the author of sin, and He is not. Satan is the author of sin. But here's what we know. Is that God is in absolute control. And that's hard, I know. Because here's what we're saying. God is not the author of sin, but God is sovereign. God controls all things. He permits sin. And at the same time, when you actually look at this passage, we know that what? He limits sin. Here's what he says to Satan. You can do this, but you can't do that. You can touch him, but... You can't do this. God is still in control. And here's the answer to some of our questions. It's this. God only allows Satan to accomplish the very opposite of what Satan wanted to accomplish. You need to understand that. That's very important. God only allows Satan to accomplish the very opposite. He only gives Satan enough rope to what? To ultimately hang himself. But you've got to be patient. And I've got to be patient for that. Ultimately, that's what God allows. He wants Satan to be fully, what? Discredited in your life. He wants Satan to be exposed as a fraud. But are you patient enough to allow God's plan to work itself out in your life? I know sometimes in my life, I want it done now. 
I want things to happen now. Because here's the thing. Thousands of years later, hundreds of thousands of people have had their lives changed by the example of Job. They still read the book of Job and they say, you know what? There's something about Job and his courage, right? And his, his pathos, his humanity that inspires me to be different. That there's something that Satan was allowed to, by God to bring evil into Job's life and God hates evil and he's against it. And he permits Satan only to bring evil into Job's life in such a way, in such an amount that it actually, you know what it actually does ironically? is completely defeats what Satan's intention was. And so, when you think about that in your own life, I'm wondering if you understand that that's probably the way God works in you and the way God works suffering in your life. Because I know that we all have suffering right now. You all bring stuff to the table and think, why am I dealing with this? I know in certain dynamics of my life, i like, God, why would you do this? Why would you allow this to happen to these relationships? I don't get it. I don't understand. Why do you permit it? I understand you're saying you're in control, but at the same time, you're actually saying you permit it. And some of you are coming in here and you want to wrestle with that. God, why would you allow cancer, right? Why would you allow disease or sin to run amok in my family's life or in my life? And what he says is, no, I only allow it, Frank, only to the, gr- only to the degree that it d- defeats the intention of Satan for you, Frank. Only to the degree that it makes you a great person. Only to the degree that it actually defeats itself. Do you believe that? Read the book of Job, and you will see this. That God will work it out. But here's the hard part. Is he never says, now Job... Listen, I just want you to realize that this has been really hard, I know, but do you realize that for the rest of time, for the rest of history, you will be an object of great literature that will be written throughout hundreds, not thousands of years, Job. He never tells Job this. Job is going through it, and he never tells you that. He never tells you, I will use your suffering to um, ultimately transform not only your life, but the lives of others later on in life. He never tells Job that. And he doesn't want us to have pat answers. But remember, he never tells us, right? He never tells us what is going to happen. The cynic says, don't you see? Look how life is so bad. And some of you are in this room and you're saying, look how bad my life is, God. Look how all this evil and suffering God, you're allowing. The moralist says, oh, you know what? You did this and you did that. And you know what? Some of you are thinking, if your life went bad this week, I got to change this and I got to change that. Because you know what? That will change the outcome. And when we look at the scriptures and we realize that Job had done nothing, what does it say? He was blameless. I mean, he wasn't perfect but he had not done what ultimately, ultimately Satan allowed or God allowed Satan to do. And the same thing applies to, to our lives. That when you understand suffering and 
that you can ultimately, like Job, not receive the answer for the why, but know that God has a plan. Are you okay with that? Because that's the mystery, is that God will allow cancer to come into your life or to your loved one's life or into my life into my loved one's life and say, you know what, I'm going to do something in that person, not only in that person, but in your whole family's life, that never, like, no one ever prayed like they pray in your family's life until cancer came in. I mean, I've seen that happen in so many different people's life. No one needed God until some, um, uh, you know, cancer or, or, or leukemia came in that they couldn't do anything about. And their family, their father or their uncle or their brother, had never prayed with that desperation until leukemia came into their life. And then I'm sitting with them in a hospital room with their whole families around thinking, this person might die. And you know what? This man or this woman steps up and prays with tears with so much passion that no one in their family has ever heard of anyone praying like this. And it happens. And then you realize, you know what? God has allowed this suffering to happen so that this family can need God like they've never needed God before. And that's an issue in our world, right? That's an issue in 33626. That's a, it's an issue when you are so comfortable that you've never needed anything before. Why does God allow suffering to happen in your life? So that you'll need because so many of us, you know what we do? We spend our entire lives trying not to need. Like, I will spend my entire educational career making sure that I will make enough money so that I will never need anything, including God. So you don't pray with any type of passion. You never cry when you think about Jesus on the cross because you don't need him. And that's what Satan, I believe, that's what C.S. Lewis talks about in the screw tape letters where he talks about two demons talking together, an uncle demon and a nephew demon. How do you kill an American church in upper middle class suburbia? Oh, kill need. That's all you need to do. That's what the uncle, was, uncle demon was trying to tell the nephew demon. Just kill need. Make sure everybody has all their quote needs met and they will never pray with any passion. Are you kidding me? When, when Paulie leads us in singing, no one will really sing like they mean it. You will kill them. And that's what Satan knows. And he says, look, if you will just give me Job and let me take away his whole family, all his riches, I will kill the man by taking everything around him. Right? And God says, no, no, wait. Here's what I want to show you. I want to show you what's happening. I want to I ask Westtown Church, can you embrace living, point number two, can you embrace living without an immediate answer to the suffering that you're going through? Can you still love God without an immediate answer to when your marriage falls apart and you don't know why? To when you lose your job or someone gets sick? I, I want to, what, I, I, and Satan says, no, here's what I know, Westtown will fall apart there will be no church. If I, were, if I were to be allowed to run roughshod over West Town and remove their, their, their spouses and their jobs and their kids, everyone would deny their faith. Because God, here's what you are. This is what, G, what Satan is, is implying in this whole thing. Um, is that 
he's saying to God, Job doesn't love you because he just loves you. He loves you for the stuff you do. And it makes us ask the question, do we love God, right? Do we love God for what he has done for us? Have you ever had somebody all of a sudden start acting really friendly with you and you start feeling a little uncomfortable? Like, this person's like way too nice to me, right? Like, like what's going on here? Like, all of a sudden you're like talking and you're like, you know things about, like you've done some like reconnaissance mission on my life and you know too many details, like I don't know who you are and you're thinking, okay, all right. And then, you know, they have a few more interactions with you and maybe you don't give them what they wanted. And you realize as you look back, oh, um, you know what? I wasn't being befriended by this person. I was being networked by this person, right? Like, this was all a business thing, right? Like, he just wanted me for what I could do for his business. For I was just another client for him. And he acted like we were going to be friends. Like, we went to the Rays game, and he asked me out to, to lunch, and he wanted to get our families together. But then all of a sudden, I didn't do this, and then I never heard from him again. <laughs> like, I was being worked by this person, right? I was totally being worked by I was being networked from him. And so, I mean, imagine, I mean, we see this all the more in, in relationships, right? Ladies, a guy comes on to you, very friendly, very affirming, really seems to be interested in you. And when he finds out what? You won't sleep with him, he's gone. Because he wanted one thing. That's what he wanted. And when you didn't give, to, give it to him, he said, you know what? I'm out. And Satan is smiling and he's saying, that's right. That's just all human beings are. But when we understand what God is saying, when we understand, look, I don't want you to depersonalize people. But when you've used somebody, when I've used somebody like that, you know what I do to them? I depersonalize them. I dehumanize them. I become the exploiter. Maybe you've done that. You've engaged in a relationship because of what they can do for you. And you realize you've become the manipulator. You've become hard. And you know what? You've become as cynical as Satan in this interaction with Job. And bit by bit, what? We become more like him. And so when Satan looks at people saying, yeah, they love God. People saying they love each other. You know what Satan says to me and you? He says, yeah, whatever. The only reason you're here on a Sunday is you're in it for you. You're in it for a better life. That's the only reason you would show up on a Sunday morning, right? Come on. He says, you're loving yourself and getting things from, uh, for, for you. You don't love the person of who the Lord is. You are in it from yourselves. And ultimately, he's asking himself, um, or Satan is asking I bet you Job is this way too. I bet you is that. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, are you in it for that? Are you in it for what God can do for you? Because ultimately we know that there is a greater purpose for suffering. There's, there's more for you. The only way to be sure you're serving God for himself alone rather than what than you, uh, you're getting out of it is that you have to serve God with the expectation that he gives you nothing in return. In other words, that you come to church on Sunday, 
and you don't expect anything in return this week, that you don't expect anything in return for the month of May. Yeah, I've gone to church every single Sunday in the month of April. Why? I, I should have a great May, or I should have a great June, or a great July. I should land this client. I should, my kids should act better than they are right now. If I come to church every single Sunday, and that's what God, and that's what Satan is saying. Are you willing to embrace living life without knowing why you may be suffering? Are you willing to do that? Because Satan is cynical about your love for God. Satan is saying to Job, as he's saying to you, you don't really love God, you love yourself. And so you use God like, like a vending machine. Like he will bring you things that you want. And so when suffering comes, Satan is saying to God, when suffering comes to Job, just like suffering comes to you, here's what we will all do. We will all recant. We will all just back off and say, you know what, it's not worth it. And it asks you and asks me the question, where are you? Here's the beautiful thing about, about Job. He says this, Naked I come out of the womb, and naked I'm going to die. The Lord has given my four beautiful kids, my two girls and my two boys. And you know what? The Lord has taken them away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he says, The name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, what we know, Job did not sin. At the same time, here's what we know, Job tore his clothes and he wore black. When we struggle with things, when we suffer, um, we really do it. It's real. Crying out, grieving in the midst of pain. Christianity, we're not saying is stoicism. It's not. It's being honest. He does not say, you know, he does not say, these things you have taken from me, they were mine. I earned them. I worked for them. These homes, these children, this money, these things were mine. How dare you take them away? He just simply says, naked I come. I'm vulnerable. I'm helpless. You gave me my kids. You gave me my, my cattle, my money. And you know what? You take them away. If you want to take them, you take them. The thing that makes me who I am is you. Rather than the thing who makes me who I am is this church I've, so, I've worked so hard to plant. right? And we have a building now. And we have a preschool now. Which I feel like when I read this stuff, I want to be like, God, I've worked so hard. And here we are, what, 14 years into, 13 years into this. This is what I'm owed because I've worked so hard. No. Job says, take him. I don't deserve to be married to this beautiful blonde, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I deserve Ellie and Eliza and Frankie and Jake. He does not say that. He says, you gave them all to me. These were all gifts. If you gave them to me and you take them, that's the way it is. You are the creator of all things. And so what he's asking you and he's asking me, what do you build your life on? This is a hard question if you build your life on things. Your suffering, ultimately, if you build your life on all this stuff, you know what it will do? It will invade and take over your life. 
So if you get sick, or if your kids get sick, or if your family member gets sick, or you lose your job, or whatever, you know what it's going to do? It will rule you. But it didn't rule Job. That didn't mean he wasn't sad, but it didn't rule him. Your suffering, ultimately, what it says is, will pull you away from your source of joy. God is saying to Job, and saying to all of us, am I the source of your joy? Or... Am I simply the source of the thing that gives you all the things that give you joy? God says, I never gave you kids or a wife or your life so that you could find your joy in those things. I gave you those things to show you that you can find your joy completely in me. And in America, in 2019, are you kidding me? Are you telling me that we don't struggle with this? Why would a good God allow for suffering? He would allow for suffering because He wants your heart. Because when bad things happen, and you realize the more things that are pulled away from you, if you become madder and madder, if you become sadder and sadder, if things are continued to pull away from you or pull away from me, you know what? Your life is built on sand, right? Don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore, right? That's what my grandmother used to teach me. Don't build it on sand. I can leave, Frankie, right? Your family can leave, but here's who will never leave you, the Lord. You need to build your house, Frankie, on the rock, on the Lord, Because when that happens, it will drive you deeper and deeper, Frankie, to the source of your joy. When stuff, hard things happen, you know what it will do? It will drive you back to the source of everything, and that is the Lord. And you'll realize how much He loves you. Why does God allow for suffering to happen to you, to make you the person you're called to be? But you have a choice to make, and I have a choice to make. The suffering that comes to your life and my life, right? the relationships that aren't what you want them to be, they can drive you to be angry and mad, right? And your personality changes. Or they'll drive you to be sad and depressed and your personality changes. Or we have the decision to understand, you know what? Ultimately, it drives us to see how much the Lord loves us because He wants... He wants to be the source of all your joy. And this is what's going to be hard for some of us in this room. I don't know if I want to do that. You don't know a personal God that way. You don't know a relationship with the God of the universe that can be so dynamic, that can be so personal. Because here's what church has been for you and for me. Religion. It's something we do for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. And Jesus says, no, When Satan said bad things to God about us, think about this. When Satan said bad things to God about us, even though there was some truth about that, God didn't accept it. But when Satan said bad things to us about God in the garden, what did Adam and Eve do? We believed it. The lie of Satan is, if you will give yourself to God utterly and wholly, If you totally trust him, he will crush you. So don't. So find your stuff and things. That's the lie of Satan. 
Some of you believe that. Find yourself in stuff. He will crush you and you won't be happy. God doesn't really love you. And so down deep inside, when somebody criticizes me for my preaching, they say, Frank, you're not funny enough or you're not, you're not theological enough or you're not, you're not powerful enough or you're not charismatic enough. I think to myself, man, I, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. If you compared me to all these other preachers and somebody says, I'm going to go listen to that guy on the internet because I don't want to go to your church anymore, Frank, because you're too boring. You know what? Something inside of me says, man, Frank, you've got to be it. You've got to do it, man. Step up your game, pal. You've got to measure up. I realize that's Satan saying, you know what? God won't love you unless you measure up like this, unless you do that. And when bad things happen... Was it, when it doesn't look like I'm succeed, uh, succeeding, why will I, you know, go to Wendy's, get a number two, double-sized, right? Biggie-sized. I'm going to watch SportsCenter for the next four hours and feel sorry for myself. That's a full-out sin factory for Frankie here, right? It's on. I start feeling sorry for myself, and I think, you know, i gotta, I got to be it. So next Sunday, dadgummit, they're going to feel it. Crap junk it's it's manure that's what it is other things that i can't say here and here's what we know ultimately all of this thing points us to jesus because imagine this think about this when job suffered he was only relatively innocent but jesus christ was the true job the true absolutely innocent sufferer in fact, Jesus is the only person in history whom God said, if you obey me fully, this is what God, the Father said to Jesus, if you obey me fully, I'll crush you to powder and I will send you to hell. And that's what we know Good Friday happened on Good Friday. That's what happened to Jesus. And you will experience separation from me and the glory and the face of your Father. If you obey me fully, I will send you to hell. That's the only person God ever said that to. And God never said that to you and to me. Jesus is the only person who ever served God truly for nothing. And why would Jesus do that? Why would he do that? He did that for you and for me. He would serve his Father to receive the punishment because he loved us that much. That is your proof. You people, myself, who are suffering, and you, we, we think we have no idea why. It all points to Jesus. It all points to ultimately what he did for us. And when he died on the cross for me, it proved what? It proved Satan was an absolute liar. And you've got to come to that cross. You've got to come to that crossroads this morning. Why would God allow you to suffer? To bring you to Him, that's why. Why would God allow you to experience the hardship that you're going through right now? Because Jesus wants to know, God wants to know that He is the point. You are not the point of your life. You are not the center of the universe. The Scriptures say, I know, God is the center of all things, not man. And that's counter to what the world says. The world says, you are the center. And the scriptures say, no, no, you're not the point. 
God is the point. And He will allow suffering and permit suffering to the extent that you know how much He loves you. Where are you? Will you allow the suffering in your life to bring you to the place where you understand that God loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son? That's the point. That's the point of suffering. Let's pray and ask.